Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath. Thank you for the rest that you've given to us. Thank you for this time that we can come and study your word. Thank you, Lord, for preserving our life throughout this past week. And now, Lord, as we come and seek and study your word together, may you grace us with thy presence, O Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and teach us and guide us into all truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see by the title of the sermon, Rise and Build, you can probably already guess who we are going to be studying about this week. And we're going to look at this as a series over the next few weeks. We are going to be studying the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a wonderful book that relates to our time and highlights issues and challenges and talks about how we can rise up and build and finish the work of God even in our generation and in our lifetime. And the book of Nehemiah opens there in chapter 1 with a, a background of the situation of what was taking place, not just where Nehemiah was as he was serving the king of Medo-Persia, but even what was taking place back home. Let's start in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Nehemiah was still in captivity in Medo-Persia, but news came to him of what was taking place back in his homeland, in his hometown, and the walls were broken down. People were scattered. There was no leadership. You know, the, the, the decree had already gone forth in the days of Cyrus and Darius to allow the people to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple and their houses and even the, the streets and the walls. But here at this point, they had not been making progress. The walls had been broken down and Nehemiah, he was worried. He was struck down with this news of what was taking place. And look what happens in the next verse. And it came to pass, verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1, When I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, he wept. He mourned for a few days and he began to fast and he began to pray. This man of God was so concerned about the welfare of his people, about the work of God moving forward and being a blessing to people again, that for a few days he was troubled. He mourned. And then he began to fast and he began to pray. And I want you to look at the prayer of Nehemiah. This is what we are greeted with at the beginning of this book. In this first chapter, look at how Nehemiah begins to pray. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Notice what he says here. He is begging God 
He knows that this God, He keeps His promises. He keeps His covenants. And the only reason why He has not blessed them and not kept His promise, so to speak, is because they have broken their side of their agreements, their side of the covenant. He knows, He realizes that the children of Israel have sinned. And not only that, Nehemiah identifies himself with his people. He doesn't go, oh, the sins that they have committed. God, they are so wicked. They have done this wrong. They are bad like this. He doesn't identify the sins of everybody out there except himself. No, friends. He has a true conception of the reason why they are in this situation in the first place because he himself is in captivity as well. He himself and his people have the, the, the houses are not built, the temple is not built, the walls are not built. And instead of pointing out the sins of everyone else that are around him, he identifies himself with the people of God and says, we have sinned, both I and my father's house have sinned. He lays a blame on himself and he identifies himself with this people. And you know, friends, even though we are in our church here, there are factions, and I'm not saying within Dak and Sack, but you know, throughout our, our, our denomination, there are factions in the church. And it's possible that sometimes we like to look for people to blame. We like to look for people to blame as to why our church is not growing, why our church is languishing, why there are problems in the church. And we like to blame, blame the liberals, or we like to blame the conservatives, or those that are the Sabbath breakers in our church, or that are just not, not, not believing the same as we do. And we like to blame everyone, and it's this person or it's that person, and we like to blame the leaders. And it's so convenient and easy to do so, isn't it? But Nehemiah, he doesn't do that. He identifies himself with the people of God. And he knows the reason why that God has not kept his side of the agreement is because we broke our side. When God doesn't bless, at least in this situation, it was very clear they had been in captivity for over 70 years already. And Nehemiah knows the reason why. He continues, Nehemiah 1, 7 and 8, We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. He says, We have dealt very corruptly. We have not kept the commandments. We have not kept your statutes. He still continues to identify himself. And you got to understand that, that, that he is a prophet. He doesn't know it probably at this point. You know, the, the words that we're reading is written by a prophet. But even though he has been called by God to such a high place and to, to, to call to God to lead out in this, this, this point in time, he puts himself in the same boat with everyone else. He's not any better. He's in captivity. He, and along with everyone else, is in the same position. And so his country is broken down and he has this great burden. But before he can go and build, before he can go and help, he has to understand. He puts his hand on the pulse of the problem. The true issue is because God's people had been sinning. 
is because God's people had been transgressing and God had borne long, hundreds of years through all the kings and what had been taking place. And finally, they got to this place where God said the only way that they can learn is if they are put into captivity. And Moses is brought up here by Nehemiah. He understands what was going on. It was prophesied. God had told them, if you keep the commandments of God, if you stay close to me, I will bless you and make you a great and amazing nation that all the other people will come and look at you. But if you do not, if you transgress, you become a byword, meaning you become a saying as if you never existed. And truly, that is what happened. And Nehemiah, he knows it. You know, Moses talked about it in a few places, but he may have been quoting from Deuteronomy where, where Moses warns the children and he puts blessings on one side and cursing on the other side, and he lists it out in great detail. Moses warned them. And so it was very clear, very clear at least to Nehemiah why the children of Israel were in this situation in the first place. And friends, you know, I think it's important for, under, for us to understand, uh, have a clear understanding of our own situation, why we are the way we are. The clear understanding of the situation in our church was scattered abroad. The membership in Peninsula Malaysia is so small, right? At least compared to the, the, the population that we have. And Nehemiah, he had a clear understanding of his situation. And we also have transgressed the commandment of God. We also have not followed His statutes. And things don't just happen by chance. That w The reason why there are so few baptisms, even within our churches. You know, Dak and Sack, we've not had a baptism in the past two years. We got to really look at our own situation. And I'm not going out condemning other churches or our mission, but we have problem in our own church. It's so important to make sure you hold up the mirror to yourself before you go and, and use that mirror and turn it and point it at other people. And this is the reason why we got to pray. This is the reason why we've started prayer. And not because the form itself is going to change anything, but prayer is, begoing, is going to begin to change us. It's not just Peninsula Malaysia, it's even Dak and Sak. And sure, we've planted a church, but since then, what has happened? How have our churches grown? Or more rather, why have they languished? And, uh, you know, it's important to have a clear understanding. And it's possible that we've become proud or, you know, we have not been seeking the Lord with all our heart. And so, like what the psalmist says in Psalms 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Friends, it's important to go back and ask God, God, why is this all happening? Search my heart. Instead of looking and pointing at all the other people, oh, they, they don't come for this and they don't do that, we have to identify personally why the church is like that. Not because of anyone else, but because of me. And Nehemiah, he knew that. He knew that. And he wasn't praying in a group and saying, God, forgive us all. And, you know, as if he had some sort of pride knowing that it's not me, it's everyone else that is present in the prayer meeting. No. He prayed a prayer of confession personally, himself. He was the problem. But he didn't stop there, you see, because we serve a merciful God. 
Let's continue. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 9. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Even though we have broken the commandment of God, yet if we come back, if we repent and we do that which God wants us to do, God, no matter how far He's scattered us, He will gather us back. He will bring us in just as God desires to gather in one all that are under this heavens today and bring us to heaven. God will do that if we come back and seek Him. And it says there, and keep His commandments. If we repent, God will forgive. God will heal. God is willing to return to us if we return to Him. You know, God is still willing to gather us together here in Malaysia. He wants to set up His name here. He wants to finish the work here. And it's not about the, the majority of a different religion here. It's God's people that are languishing. We've gotten caught up with the world, you see. And in doing so, we broke His commandments. But you see, in Nehemiah chapter 1, the introduction of this mighty man of God helps us to understand that he was a praying man. Before Nehemiah ever lifted up his hand to start building the wall of Jerusalem, he had a burden that the Lord placed upon his heart and he began to pray. He began to pray. A burden to seek the Lord, to make right his life, spiritually first. He made sure that the way between him and God was made clear. He got a clear understanding, yes, of the Jewish nation, but even of his own life. And he did not leave it to chance. So he began to pray a prayer of confession. And you know what? God began to work. Not Nehemiah. It was God. Let's continue, shall we? Nehemiah chapter 2 now starting in verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Wait a minute. Isn't it that prayer is meant to make a person more happy, right? Shouldn't Christians be the most joyful people on all the earth, right? They were walking with God. Why is it that Nehemiah, he was sad. He had a burden and to, the, to, to the extent that the ungodly man, the non-Christian, the heathen who didn't believe in God, looked at it and saying, oh, you, you are not sick. This is certainly heart sickness. You are sorry for something. Nehemiah, what is wrong, right? So aren't we meant to wear a smile on our face every day wherever we go? Obviously, when we see here in Nehemiah chapter 2, that is not the case. Nehemiah was weighed down with a burden that the Lord had placed upon him for his people, and the king took notice. 
Look at this. Nehemiah tells the king the reason why he's sad. And you look how the king replies in verse 4. Let's go back there so you can see it. So how does the king reply? You know, my, 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 my city is broken down. You know, the gates are consumed with fire. The walls are just broken. Everything's just bad back in my hometown. And what does the king say? What do you want? Nehemiah, what do you want? What is your request? Wait a minute. Nehemiah wasn't even asking for anything. He didn't say, oh, if only I had this or if only I had that. No, the king looked at him and said, okay, Nehemiah, I hear you. What do you want? And he was just telling the king the reason why he was sad. Isn't it amazing? This is the amazing power of prayer. You see, in chapter 1, Nehemiah began to pray and he was confessing his sins and asking God to, to heal them and, and to come back to them and, and turn his face and set it on him. But Nehemiah wasn't requesting anything. He was just sad for the condition of his people. But I'm telling you, God began to work upon the heart of not just Nehemiah, but now King Artaxerxes. And you know what? Nehemiah was ready. You know why? Because he had been praying. He knew what he wanted, but before he blurted it out, look what it said there at the end of the verse. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Right there, standing there before the king. When the king looks at Nehemiah and says, what do you want? He didn't just say it. He stopped, he paused, he began to pray in his heart. God, is this you guiding? God, help me to make sure that I, I, I ask for the right thing. God, even standing there, he began to pray. And God continued to work. Verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. This was what was in Nehemiah's heart. Friends, Nehemiah could have asked for a more comfortable living, and the king would have probably granted it to him. He could have probably asked for a nicer chariot or horses or a better life, more riches, more gold, a better clothing. But that's not what he asked for. You see, he could have asked for all these things and the king would have most likely granted it because it was so easy. He was speaking to the king of the then known world, a king that could have granted him whatever he wanted for his own personal benefit. But Nehemiah's heart was not even thinking for himself. He was thinking for God. He was thinking for his people. And so he asked or he began to ask differently. You know, Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. If you would just write this down, the Bible says there that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. And that's true. But the reason why so many of us do not get the desires of our heart is because our heart is not like Christ's. We don't delight ourselves in the Lord. We don't have the mind of Christ. And we don't delight in Him. We don't, we don't ask things that would be for His good but we ask things that are sometimes more often than not hurtful to us because we don't spend time with Him. We're not confessing our sins. And so when we ask, sins have skewed how we think and what we desire, and we ask for selfish things. You know, Nehemiah's 
uh, request and his heart lines up with God's heart because he had been praying, because he had been seeking God. And prayer changed Nehemiah's heart. It didn't change God's heart. You know, too often uh, as kids, we like to go to our parents and we're growing up and we just try and we just ask and we ask. Just, just ask your dad if you can borrow the car. The worst he could say is no, right? But then sometimes he says no and we go ask again and again and we get into this habit that we think that God is like that too. But that's not what God wants. You see, when it comes to prayer, it's not just about God, you know, I, I, I came to you, I, I prayed for three hours that you would bless me, you know, for my exam or for my work or for, for this business deal, but you didn't help. Not realizing that that three hours, God was trying to change our heart, not His heart. You know, sometimes I get asked, would it be wrong to pray this way or that way, to ask for this or ask for that? And I think, you know, friends, instead of asking the pastor, if you went and spent time with God, and you began to pray, you would know whether it's right or not. You would know whether you should pray for such things. But Nehemiah, he's in the presence of the king. And the king has asked him, what do you want? And he began to pray, and, and the first response that you get in there in verse 5 is, he himself wants to go back to Judah to help. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 6, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, Do you see that? Moreover, on top of that, I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Nehemiah he became even more bold to begin to ask even for more. Why? Because he knew, number one, he needed it to build the house of the Lord. But number two, he saw the hand of the Lord working. And so he saw providence opening the door. Not to bless him, but to bless the work, to bless God's people to bless that which God had called him to. And so he became even more bold. You know, friends, it's easy to become bold, to ask for God's work. Oh, to ask for myself? Never. I would not ask any of you for money. I would go to my parents. I'll go to my brother. I'll go to my sister, right? We'll go to our family. But when it comes to, to asking for God's work, that's where it's different. But too many of us, we get so involved in asking for blessings for ourselves. And, and we want God to bless me. And, and you know, if you were to put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes and, and we had our own mindset, we would ask for all this timber so I could build myself a big house first and then I would go and work on others or God's work. Too often we've been like that. We've asked God to bless me so only then the overflow I will give to God.
But Nehemiah, he waxed bold. He was confident. He was willing to ask for great things, a letter for all the timber that was needed, unlimited resource, so that he can go back and not build himself a big house, but the house of God and the people's houses and the walls and the roads. You know, sometimes we are too shy or sometimes we're too preoccupied with other things. But Nehemiah, he became bold, and even more, because he could see that God was working on his behalf. You know, Nehemiah was a minute man. He was ready at a moment's notice. He saw the moving of the providence of God, and he was bold to ask. He was bold to ask. Why? Because he had been praying. And as God opened the doors, as God was the one that guided, he could see God's hand in all of it. Friends, how is it with you and your God today? Have you been praying? Have you been a praying Christian this past week? Have you been praying for the work of God? Have you been weeping and crying and fasting unto God? And have you been stepping out in faith, seeing God open the door of providence before you? Too often we're praying for ourselves. As I mentioned last night as well, we were praying for our our family, our lives, our studies, our careers. We pray so much for that that we forget to pray that, that there's a world to be won, sin to be shunned that Jesus is coming very soon. You know, had Nehemiah been alive today, he would have been praying for the the church. He would have been praying for the Bible workers. He would be praying for for the the health work. He would have been praying for the AOI conference. He would have been praying for the SALT program. He would have been praying for campus ministry. He would have been praying for the pastor. (laughs) God bless all of you that pray for me. You got to pray for your pastors, amen? We're human as well. But you know, when you begin to pray for God's work, you know what happens? It begins to change your heart. It begins to change your outlook and you begin to see miracles. You begin to see how how God is guiding. Do you see that? Because you know, when you pray for yourself and ask for a promotion, well, people get promotions every day. Do you see that? But the world, they, they don't pray for these sorts of prayer requests to get money to start a new work. You, know, you don't see people praying for this. You know what I mean? But when we begin to pray for our own needs and our, our, our wants and our desires, we, it's what worldly people desire as well. And so it's not a miracle to many people because it happens to everybody. But God's work is quite contrary to that. It's very different. It, it requires a special type of Christian to be praying for these sorts of things because many Christians, we we go to church, but we're still praying for our own personal things. It's time to change that mindset. When you come into the presence of God, that's what God begins to do. And that's where you begin to see the miracles, friends. But Nehemiah, he's not done yet. Verse 10, he goes back to Jerusalem and, and what happens? 
when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You know, friends, whenever you try to do the Lord's work, the devil is always standing on the side ready to go against it. He knows that it's going to require effort. Yes, God will work for you, but it requires faith to believe and to move forward. And so the devil always sends people or situations to resist the work of God. And yes, you have to be careful to make sure that you're walking according to God's will because you don't want to, you don't want to face resistance that is not from God or uh, it's not that it's from God. You don't want to face resistance that was from your own doing. You said something wrong and so people rise up against it, right? You want to make sure that you're in the, the will of God. And even as the resistance comes, you know that God is guiding. You can have confidence to move forward. And so the devil always throws people at you and situations at you to try to discourage you. And this is why it's so important to make sure that your foundation is solid, friends. That you know in whom you believe and the reason to why you're doing all these things. And if there's no resistance, maybe, just maybe you're not doing the work of God. Interesting thought, hey? But you know, Nehemiah gets back to Judah. After weeks and months of travel and setting up all the things in the right places, he gets back there and he doesn't relax and go, oh, now time to eat my favorite food that I've missed for years. No, throughout the night, he goes and surveys the place and he sees where everything is broken down and what needs to be fixed and the condition of, of the city and of the town and, and the place. And then, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come! And let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You know, Nehemiah, he says, Look, you see the distress. You see the problems. He's talking to the people that have been living there already. You see the problem. Let us rise up and build. But... They know that they should do the work, but you know what, what convinces the people? What it is that ultimately motivates the people to go, yes, in verse 18, that we will rise up and build. You know what it was? In verse 18, this is the key. It says here, let me show you the text again. Look there in verse 18. I told them of the hand of God, which was good upon me as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. What did Nehemiah do? Yes, he tells him, we got to rise up and build. But what was it that convicted them, that brought them together and unified them for this great work? He shared with them how God had been leading them. He shared with them the visions of how God had blessed him. He shared with them how God had touched the heart of the king and the situation that he was in. And he looked and showed them, look at all the timber. Look at the letters that I've got. Look at how God has prospered us to this point. He gave a testimony of how God had been leading and guiding them. You know, friends, 
even though he surveyed the land and the city and there was so much work to be done. He didn't look at the present. He looked at the past and showed them how God had been guiding every step of the way. You know, friends, it's really important to make sure that you see very clearly how God guides. You know, sometimes we want to do different things, even for the church, because I feel impressed. But we got to be careful that we don't just plunge headlong into it just because I have a burden for it. It might be my own personal desire. It, be my, it might be just what I want and it's not what God wants. But Nehemiah had such confidence because of what happened in the earlier part of chapter 2, how the king, his heart was touched, and how the king opened the doors for him to go back, and how the king even allowed him to have unlimited resources of timber, how the king wrote the letters. He had confidence that God had been guiding and was with him. This is where, my dear friends, personal testimonies become so important. Personal experience with God becomes so important. You know, it's now been about seven years since I've come back to Malaysia. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, Sackies, Dackies, you hear this all the time. But, you know, when I first decided to come back, uh, my wife was worried. You know why? It's because my brother was the one that had called me back says, Ben, come back, come back. We need your help with salt. Um, you know, if, if, if they'd call me, hey, come back to pastor our church, I would have never come back. <laughs> you know, I had a good pastoring position there in Taiwan. Um, it was the biggest international church there, right there in Taipei. And uh, we had a wonderful life there. You know, we had a wonderful married life. You know, living in that city was very different to living here in Malaysia. The people are polite. It was safe and it was nice and it was clean. Uh, it was different to what you experience here. But, you know, my brother called me back and says, uh, we need help with SALT. I want you to run the program and, and be a teacher. And I love teaching. I, I, I don't like so much preaching. And it's, you know, it takes something getting used to. You know, all the people that sit in front of the camera here, they always comment how it's stressful. And, you know, but after 10 months of preaching, you kind of get used to it. But I love teaching more often than not. And, uh, my wife was worried because, you know, my brother and I were like two, two, two dragons, two lions on the same mountain, you know, and we butt heads and uh, it's still taking us seven years to figure out how to work together. But I, I praise the Lord, you know, in my, in my prayer journal, uh, one of my prayer requests had always been that I can work well with my brother. And uh, I think last year, for the first time after seven years of praying that, I can confidently tick that off my prayer journal. Not that I don't need to pray for it still because uh, both of us are kind of fiery in some ways, but, you know, my, my wife was like, are you sure? And then I told my mom and she was like, are you sure? And my sister, are you sure? You want to go back and work with David? And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was time to go back. And, uh, you know, when we got back and we began to work in the church, I began to see how God was moving and how God was blessing. You know, I came back to help with the SALT program. Back in 2014, we ran our first SALT session. We had zero students. <laughs> and it's easy to say, oh God, did you make a mistake? But He didn't. 
and you begin to see how God is working through the situations in your life and how things even in church began to change. You know, when I first came back to Dak, it was a small church and the church was in the red. And praise the Lord, by that first year, we were in the black. We also see that, um, you know, God, He had been sustaining us with the Bible workers. I also see that, you know, every time we had to worry about the support of the Bible workers, um, God blessed and he, he provided the funds through different and various means. And to this point, this past 10 months, we have 15 Bible workers and I don't know how God is supporting it. And I, I, I don't hear all the intricate details that are treasure who keeps track of all the funds, but somehow the Lord has blessed. And it's like, God, you didn't call me back here just to run the SALT program, but for the church work, for Bible work as well. And God, he, he, He's more than doubled the, the regular attendance of, of the church in the first three years that I was back there and to the point that we planted a church. And you know, sometimes it's so easy to, when, when, when you go through these stressful situations and, and, and these difficult situations, it's so easy to, to be blinded to what God had blessed in the time past. But I know that, that God had been blessing our church to the point that we were able to plant sack and that God called us for a reason. Not just me, but all of us, all that were instrumental. You know, the, the, the youth group grew and it became flourishing. God blessed. And it's so easy sometimes to doubt the providence of God when troubles come in. Yes, we got to make changes. Yes, we got to come back and pray. But God had been with us. And I know that He will be with us in the future because He's brought us this far, not just to leave us and desert us. But we got to rise up and build. And this is why it's so important, friends, to have a personal testimony. Not just personal testimonies of how God has blessed us personally in our life. I praise God for, for helping me with, with my presentation and for that pay raise or giving me a, a different uh, a role in the company. And now, you know, all these different things. And we think of those things personally, but they have nothing to do with the work of God. And even then, it's still easy to doubt God. Am I in the right place at the right time, even though you've blessed me? But is God using you in your workplace? Is He using you in your studies? Can you see by the obvious hand of God that God brought you here to Malaysia even though you are a student, but there's someone there for you to witness to? And unless you see the providence and the guiding hand of God, it's so easy just to leave. You know, I went, went to Taiwan because I was desperate for a job. I was out of a job for nine months and uh, I was just praying, God, you just give me something. And God led me to be a high school chaplain, which was my most stressful year of my whole life because teaching high school students was not my calling. 72 students every day who knew that Bible was not the most important subject, so they did not take it seriously and they would just sleep right in front of you. I was stressed. But one person got baptized because of it. And God showed me, Ben, you're in the right place even though the situation causes you a lot of stress. I brought you to this place. You are in the right place at the right time. And friends, unless you see the guiding hand of God for His work, not just for you, you might never know. Decisions that we make too often are financial decisions. 
I need to move back to my hometown because, you know, my parents are there and I don't have to spend much for accommodation. We make decisions about Korea just based upon that. Not thinking about what? The work of God. You know, I've had opportunities to move overseas or go back home. My, my parents are back there in Australia and they asked me to come back. And, you know, it's tempting. The dollar's stronger. There's different temptations, you see, when you look at it. But when I look at the work of God, I look at the wonderful team that God has blessed me with in our church boards, the Bible workers, the wonderful mission leadership that we have. When I look at all these things that God has blessed me with, I would be silly to leave. You see, the decisions that I make, sometimes people don't understand. They try to dangle the carrot. Oh, Ben, Singapore pays more. Hong Kong pays more. Come back to Taiwan, it pays more. Australia, it pays more. But they don't have the team that I have. They don't have the blessings of the wonderful church board that I have. They don't have the blessings of being able to, to work well with a mission leadership and to, 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 to work together. You see, friends, it's not always about finance. It's not always about your career. If you take a change and look at it differently and you just change how, how you look at your life, not about me, but about God's work. It's easier to make that decision. Spiritual, not financial. Spiritual. And when you learn to put God first, you can see so many blessings that you get to this point, you know that you're in the right place at the right time. And so as Nehemiah, he recounted the blessings of how God had worked. Oh, friends, I was, I was praying and I was confessing our sins and as I was weeping and, and the king saw that I was sad, guess what? He blessed me with all of this. And we got to rise up and build. Look, we have all the resources, but now we need the manpower. And as he began to share, the people were the ones that stood up there and said, we will rise up and build. In verse 18 at this end, it says, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah was not the one strengthening them now. The, the, the testimony that he gave was so powerful. They saw the obvious hand of God and it gave them courage to come and to rally together and to work together with Nehemiah. And so we're told, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I to them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Friends, do you see the obvious hand of God in your life today? Have you been looking for his, the, the indications of His providence, the guiding of His Spirit, not just personally in your career, which really you could just you know, you point the gun and shoot somewhere and, and you'll hit some target and you say, okay, that's where I got to go. But do you know that God, He brought you here at this time, at this place for such a reason and not just for yourself, but for the salvation of other people? Do you see the obvious hand of God in all of it? Even in the face of all those that hated Him, that rose up against Him, Sanballat, the most famous of them all, 
Yet, Nehemiah could say what? The God of heaven. He will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. How could Nehemiah be so confident and sure? Because he saw the obvious hand of God just weeks and months before. Why? Because he'd been praying. You know, friends, it's time that we turn uh, away uh, our prayers from just our selfish reasons. Not because God doesn't care. Not because I don't care. But if we come to learn to pray for God's work, it will help us to endure. Do you know that? It will help, it'll help you to see that you're at the right place where God wants you to be. And no matter what, it will help you to endure. It will give you a purpose for why you are there. And unless you see that, you will always be running. You will always be searching for a better life, for a better place, for a better job, for better qualifications, for a better family or a better wife unless you see how God guides you in all of this, you will never be satisfied with your own life. Friends, do you know why you are where you are today? Has God made it clear to you? Has God been the one that's guiding you? You know, some of you, maybe you're, you're about to graduate, go from move from university into workforce. What is guiding the decision that you make? Are you making it based on spiritual or solely financial? If you're doing it solely on financial, friends, you are making a big mistake. And I'm asking you to, this morning that you've got to go back to the drawing board and you've got to ask God to guide you in ways that you've never prayed before. To open your eyes to see where He is calling you. Because everybody has a place in His work. God calls everybody. You are where you are today. And maybe you might say, well, God, I'm here now. I know because I made a huge mistake. No, friends, God can turn those mistakes into blessings. Not that He wished for you to be there in the first place, but wherever you are, if you allow God to be the one that will guide you, you will see that you can be a blessing and that as you turn back to Him, He will turn back to you and prosper you for His work, not personally. Friends, it's time that we begin to pray. You know, the title is what? Rise and Build. But before we can even do that, We've got to get on our knees and say, God, forgive me. And then, God, please guide my life. I hope that's your earnest plea in prayer. Because, you know, with this pandemic, it's thrown us all into just a, a haywire. Church is not open. You know, people can't gather together. It's difficult. But I believe that as we're praying, God will show us very clearly our responsibility, what He has in plan for each and every one of us. But we got to be the one that will make the effort 
to seek God with all our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh Lord, you want to bless your people so much. You want to bless us so that we can be a blessing. You want to bless us so that we can finish your work here on this earth. Lord, help us to change our focus, even in our prayers. Help us to pray for your will to be done on earth, just like it is done in heaven. Help us, O Lord, to have a true understanding of even where we stand with you, that you'd forgive us, that you'd cleanse us from all unrighteousness and help us, Lord, to repent and come back to you. Help us to stop living this selfish life, but to live the life according to your will. And so, Lord, please, guide each and every one of us. I know that you've led all of us for a certain reason to a certain place. And if we ourselves have, have put ourselves in a horrible situation because of our own doing, forgive us and help us to see how you wish to make us a blessing, even in that place right now where we are. Help us, O oh Lord, to see your will. And may you guide us, Lord. Don't forsake us, but to bring us back to thee so that we can wrap up the work that needs to be finished before you come, Lord. Bless us to that end, O Father. Help us to make a decided change in the way we pray this coming week. Thank you, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.